Hello there. Welcome to Dr. Doom's Dungeons and Dragon Balls. Today, I'm joined by Wayne. Yeah, I'm here again. He invited me back. Right, and you know what that means. Is, is it more RPGs? That's right it is. It's a time for another episode of RPG Corner. So, so what do we got this time? Well, I actually wanted to pose a question for you. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, I was thinking RPGs stand for role-playing games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However, in modern times, is role-playing really a descriptive nature of what RPGs have become? So, so are you trying to say, are, are most games not role-playing in some way? So, for example, in a lot of RPGs nowadays, things are all a numbers game. It's all about the systems. Even in tabletop RPGs, when you look at them, a lot of people differentiate them based on the systems. Oh, is it a roll 20 system? Oh, how does magic work? Oh, you know, what kind of crunch does it have? Is it a storyteller system? Who's the publisher? And I think of video games, we run into it even more. Because in video games, we run into what's considered an RPG. Well, something like Final Fantasy. But you're not really role-playing. It's more like a numbers game, and it's all about the crunch. Games where you actually role-play, something like Life is Strange, or something like any of the Telltale games, those aren't really considered role-playing games. However, you're literally playing a role and making a decision as that character. Yeah, I see what you're getting at here. Um, I, I think it's more of, in a lot of cases now, how you play a game and not what kind of game it is. Because you're right, I could get just as into something like Life is Strange, where I I want to feel what that character feels and you know I'm making the choices for them. Whereas I might not get into something that's classified as an RPG, like... Is God of War considered an RPG? Um, the latest one is considered like an RPG light, I would say. Because it yeah. has very surface-level RPG systems. I mean, like, most people would probably consider, like, Elder Scrolls-types games. Um, very RPG, but you can play Absolutely. it... Absolutely. Yeah, you can play it absolutely as just a murder simulator. You you don't have to feel anything as you're playing it. Your your role right. in that case, I guess, is just, you know, murder hobo. And a lot of people <laughs> play D&D the same way. And and I guess that's ultimately kind of what I'm getting at is the role play aspect even in tabletop has taken a major backseat the numbers game to the crunch to well it's an rpg because it has a leveling system well it's an rpg because you get loot that affects your stats well it's an rpg because it has a set magic system or a spell slot system or you know Whatever other type, it's all about the systems. It's all about the crunch and the substance of what allows you to do what you can do as opposed to being a character and becoming that character, which I feel like is really what role-playing is meant to be. Yeah. I, I think we can agree on games that aren't role-playing. Like, if you're going to play a card game... Solitaire is not a role-playing game. Euchre is not a role-playing game. But, and we can agree on things that are, like, super definitely role-playing games. Like, almost anything Bethesda puts out is an RPG. Right. But I, I, think, I think it's a continuum, really. And it's, it's almost sometimes on how it's marketed and how each person plays the game. Yeah, that, that might define it a lot better. And that's kind of the point um, I think I'm trying to get at here is that really RPG has just kind of become a term 
for that kind of system. And it can be role-playing or it cannot be role-playing. And it's sort of almost irrelevant. And it's kind of up to you to define it how you want to define it. And I think I just think that's interesting. I think that's an interesting conversation to have when it comes to, well, okay, but then what about like truly role-play-based games like any of the Telltale games where they're out there, especially like the latest Telltale Batman VR game where you're literally seeing through the eyes of Batman using his detective skills and making choices as Batman. They're trying their best to make you Batman. No one calls that game an RPG, though, because it doesn't have those systems. I'd consider it an RPG. If you're making decisions as Batman, then same sort of thing. Um, we're, we're both weird Homestar Runner nerds from, from the early days of the glorious internet. Like, <laughs> this is this is very true. Uh, I am one of the biggest Trogdor fans. <laughs> in in Strongbad's game for for attractive people, you you are role playing Strongbad, and he might have some opinions on what you're doing. But at the end of the day, you're still clicking things as Strongbad. You're still pretending to be Strongbad. This is true. And and same with their Walking Dead game. I've watched a let's play of that from a few different people like you are lee and then you are i forget the name of the people in the the second one but like yeah and that's a huge example of a telltale game where i feel like it should be considered a role-playing game i don't yeah. hear people out there calling it an rpg people just don't do that though yeah i mean you you feel things as the character. I didn't even play the game. I felt things as the character as other people were playing the game. <laughs> exactly. 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 Um, and I, I guess really the question I'm trying to pose is to the world's definition of what is RPG. I mean, clearly we both feel like those games are RPG, but why aren't they marketed that way? Why don't people look at it that way? Um, and what kind of led to the skewing of what is and isn't an RPG? If, if I had to take a stab at it, it probably somewhat comes from the, the sort of panic around Dungeons and Dragons the first time around, where you build up that sort of, here's what I define as the person who would like a role-playing game. And that means that this is what a role-playing game is. And this thing that we're trying to, to sell to everyone is not a role-playing game, because that is very, very strictly defined, even though it's not. See, that's an interesting take. Um, and I, I think I agree with you. I had actually not looked at it like that. Like, my answer would have probably been the rise of jrpgs and the saturation of jrpgs being so distinctively rpg because it feels like you're playing dungeons and dragons especially like the first i don't know six uh final fantasy games yeah i could agree with that definitely i there's a think piece on Polygon kind of recently of, you know, what would the world be like if instead of Final Fantasy VII being on PlayStation, if it had been on N64? Oh, for sure. That's interesting. And yeah, they, they argue a lot of the, the things that really pushed the game to make a bigger impact, like having the extended memory and the extended capacity of CDs you lose that on the N64 cartridge. And so you would have ended up with a game probably graphically better, but pretty similar to Final Fantasy VI. Right, right. Um, and I, I guess another thing would be really probably what led to this classification of what an RPG is not so much what an RPG isn't would be the fact that 
Because because your argument was for what defined what it wasn't in order to kind of avoid the zeitgeist that D and D first sort of stirred up. Yeah, I I think that is a, a somewhat good way to go about it because my my thought is that role playing game if you are trying to identify as a character in the game and and get somewhat in their head then even something like Mario or Sonic can be a role playing game to some extent. I would say especially like a 3D full adventure like any sort of adventure style game could ultimately be an rpg especially if you're making choices oh absolutely um even even choices as basic as do i jump over here or do i jump over there not even necessarily dialogue choices yeah i mean if if you look at like super mario world on super nintendo oh the the, oh, I love that game. <laughs> how you treat Yoshi is still a choice. It doesn't really affect that much. But like at the end of the day, if you jump off of Yoshi so that he goes in a pit and you don't, that's still a choice you have made. That's still Mario choosing whether or not he values Yoshi. All I think when you say that is Mario Maker 2 Yoshi murdering levels. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> there are so many of them. <laughs> there are so many of them. Nobody appreciates Yoshi, or as I prefer to call him, Joshi. <laughs> that's funny because that's uh, that's what my ten-year-old calls him. He calls him, uh, yeah, I think he calls him Yashi. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, mine comes from the if. If y'all have never seen it, the Supramero crap and the Supramero oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah. The yes. the horrible spoof and horribly made but still hilarious uh, Super Mario knockoffs. Yes. Because in, in Supramero crap, you can play as Joshi. <laughs> I love it. And I guess that brings me to um, what is considered an RPG. And I feel like a lot of that surrounds and even in tabletop this happens really how you play these games because let's face it role playing is basically just flair fluff but what becomes important when you're playing a tabletop is the numbers is the thing that's tangible so maybe that's why it became such a defining factor and um it just always used rpg but rpg came synonymous with the numbers game because of how much of it was the only tangible thing it was really the game part of it the rest of it is just make believe the rest of it is just theater of the mind let's have some fun and use our imagination yeah Uh, i think a lot of that comes the whole spongebob imagination Yeah, I I would agree completely because of the at least two aspects of a role-playing game being imagination and rolling dice to get numbers. The Exactly. The thing that's easy to put into a computer is random numbers to affect outcomes. And here's something interesting that I'd like to bring up about tabletop. It doesn't have to be dice. Yeah. How many I mean, I'm familiar with a few. I don't know how many you're familiar with. Even Marvel used to have one. But how many tabletops have you used where it's based on cards? Oh, I don't know if I've played an RPG that's just cards um, tabletop-wise. But I've definitely played, I forget what it's even called, but one where um, all of your attacks are cards for different people based on their equipment. Or uh, tokens. I've had, I've played some. So the there was this really old Marvel one that was based on cards, where your your attacks and things like that were card based. 
but your abilities, like how often you could use it and all that, were designed by tokens. And each ability gets like so many tokens. So you had tokens on top of your card. And every time you wanted to use it, you'd spend a token. And usually we use like uh, the Mahjong um, marbles, you know, the flat bottom marbles or something like that to... um, to represent our tokens but i've i've played systems like that i've played all sorts of systems it doesn't even have to be dice because ultimately it really is about the numbers recording and the what you know hit points and how much damage you're doing and um you know what the system for using abilities or magics are yeah i if you have to strip a lot of that stuff away, though, what do you think would be the one to five critical things that would define something as role-playing? See, that's that's an interesting question. Um, because for me, for me, I would say, like, when I hear the word role-playing, I immediately, and this could just be because I'm, such a big nerd (laughs) um but it could also just be some personal experiences i immediately think where you are putting yourself in a character or an ideal something like larping Hmm. like really role-playing draws to mind something like larping okay so the the extreme sort of situation where you become the other ideal and you act it out. Exactly. And really the acting out part, I think, is is more to me defines role playing. Um, and I, I don't know, for some reason that to me, like like trying to embody the character that you want to design that you want to be um because i feel like that's kind of the point of role-playing games it's escapism and you want to be able to become something else and experience things you can experience as your normal everyday self yeah i feel like that's kind of the appeal so that at least for me that's the appeal um, and I think it makes sense to be the appeal for most people. So that's why I kind of um, view it as anytime you are trying to essentially use escapism and become or embody another character. Okay, so, so becoming that, that other thing makes it so that you are playing that role fully. Exactly. So, so in some sense, then, like even as Mario, you you play that role. You decide your jumps. You decide how you interact with the level and the enemies. As even back in like 1985, Red Mario or Green Mario. Yeah, even in that sense, like all games where you control at least one character to do a majority of things. You are deciding that you agree sort of with the role that that character plays in the game and you are on board. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I think as we look at more games, if you look at NHL 94 and you look at NHL since like probably 2010, because I don't know when they put this in, but they have a career mode now is the the career mode is just a, an RPG of hockey. <laughs> You, you are playing the role of your created hockey player now, and you are playing only them in games. It's a hockey RPG. Yeah, yeah, it sort of is, especially when you are attached to a single character and you are building them up, especially in something literally called a career mode. You're yeah. building this person's career. I mean, yeah, absolutely. So what would you say to you, um embodies rpg what what does role playing bring to mind for you i mean for me the the quintessential role playing experience is D D, 
but for every person, that means a different thing. So for me, it, it really is engaging with another person's world, whether that's created by your DM or just uh influenced by your dm and say created by wizards or created by someone else on the internet or something (laughs) of course so in that way just becoming a different person for a few hours and experiencing that separate world that that is role-playing it is trying to get into a different headspace and that's sort of where I was going with my answer as well. So that's interesting that um, we're kind of coming from the same place. Yeah. I mean, we're we're not too different, so I'd imagine we we would converge on a pretty similar answer. Sir, you talk as if we are friends. Talk as if we've been friends for over half a life. What? That's insanity. It... It's insanity that is true now that I think about the numbers. <laughs> it's very true. Um, here's here's something even more insane. Friend of this show, Super Nintendo, um, has been friends with me. <laughs> uh, we've been friends for six times more. And we have not been friends within our life, current lifespan. So six-sevenths of your life has been, has been friendship. Yes. Yes. Or at least mine. He is <sighs> slightly younger than me. <laughs> slightly younger than us. Oh, this is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> that is not something I had considered. But yeah, I mean, RPG-wise, I think it also depends on how you interact with the game. Because you you could also, to some extent, not buy into the whole I agree with this person's sort of general goal and not really feel anything about it. Like, you you could play Mario dispassionately. You As I feel most do. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> I mean, realistically, I think most people play it as a they look at it more as a challenge to overcome than they do i'm trying to keep this little plumber guy alive (laughs) yeah but if you look at something that might be a bit more difficult like something like maybe the sims for sure i would think that would be a really good example of something that is not commonly considered an RPG. It's kind of considered more of like a life simulator. But yeah. I feel like a life simulator is the most role-playing you can get out of role-playing. Exactly. You you are assuming at least one other person's life, even if they're just digital you. But they're digital you in a different environment. In doing different things and yeah. responding in a way that maybe you wish you could respond, but do not ultimately have the chance to. Yeah, like, there's no way I could become an astronaut, no matter how much I really would want to go into space. Absolutely. But, you know, Sim me, depending on the version of The Sims, can be an astronaut. So now here's a question. How would you feel about the role-playing potential of something like... Oh, I don't know. Roller Coaster Tycoon, where your role playing may not be as a person, but it is as a business. You're still role playing as that business, even though you are not that business. Yeah, I right before we started recording, I was playing a, a game that's still in beta called The Tenants. And you were essentially role playing as a a landlord. The only real difference is the fact that, from that to, say, a tycoon game, is the fact that they give you an avatar. So you have to pick one at the beginning. I mean, if Roller Coaster Tycoon had an avatar, I don't think people would even bat an eye that, yeah, it's a role-playing game. You are playing the role of person running a roller coaster park. Right. Right. And the only real difference is, is you're just the embodiment of a nebulous park as opposed to 
an actual um, name, which could be more relatable. But is it not true that settings or places in things like cinema, comic books, um, video games, they could all be considered a character? Uh, Final Fantasy VII, Midgar. Is Midgar a character? Well, kind of. It's a pretty important place. It plays a huge part. And I would even argue Shinra is sort of a character as well. Um, and, you know, think of... You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of some other really good examples uh, that happens to be escaping me right now. Anyway, you're you're absolutely right. Um, Midgar is, in some sense, well, in all senses, a place that evolves throughout your experience in the world. Oh, absolutely. It it doesn't get much of a choice in how it evolves, but it it is evolving through the the interactions with the characters that are there. Most of them NPCs. Absolutely. You do play a couple of really big roles in it. Like, you're sort of the reason they drop the plate, and you're you're inadvertently the reason they stick a big gun there. Spoilers if you haven't played Final Fantasy VII. (laughs) Of course. But, like, ultimately, you are not the one who decides that Midgar needs a big old gun, or... Midgar needs one section of this rotting pizza to fall on all the poor people. Like, you're right, Shinra in that sense is the more active participant in in the, the character of Midgar. And they're the ones that decide to shape the place. So yeah, I could see Midgar in some sense as a, a character as well as a place. Absolutely. Shinra, I definitely agree. Right, right. And a company absolutely could be a character. A, a place could be a character. Um, think of something. I, I, always, I always come back to, um, in comic books, the Batcave. Or especially this one, because it literally is alive and does move. But Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah, I'm, I'm less familiar with comics in general, but I... I think you can almost make a parallel with some of these things with, like, if you get enough people to think the same thing, then the entity of them together becomes its almost its own character. Because if you take any of them out of it, it doesn't really change how it happens. Just that the, the people all together now have some common goal that they're all willing to work towards. Absolutely. And this could be this can be a team. This can be an armed force. You know, Absolutely. we we both I think have run role playing games where there's some significant kingdom or armed faction that we as players then interact with. I think probably the two biggest campaigns each of us ran both involved directly (laughs) that idea and that concept. (laughs) Yeah. And so a lot of the NPCs you deal with sort of seem like the same character because they are all bought into that common goal of the group. And so the, the group ideally just becomes its own character because we don't need to differentiate anymore. Yeah. So in that sense, role-playing even doesn't need to be individual. Like, hell, I'd argue even some of the Call of Duty stuff, if you're really getting into it with your friends in a squad, you are all with some common goal. You are now role-playing as soldiers. Absolutely. And unless you are an active member of the military, you're probably not a soldier. (laughs) Yeah. And even if you are, you're interacting as a soldier in slightly different circumstances. Absolutely. And I would think maybe even circumstances in which you normally could not do, um, especially if you're playing 
one of the several Call of Duties that are not set in our current time period. Um, there are several which are set either in the deep past or the not so distant future. <laughs> Some of them way distant, but those are the less liked ones. <laughs> Dude, I think the only ones that I even really remember playing are the old ones that were pretty much all World War II. Right, and none of us have been alive during World War II, <laughs> so clearly it's role-playing because it's an entirely different situation with different resources um, at your disposal. Yeah, and, and you might try to argue that like you don't have as much agency in those older Call of Duty-style games, but at the same time, like you can still choose how you interact with that world, assuming that you have other mechanics other than point gun and shoot. Like, if you can sneak, sneak past the enemies, wait, wait for them to get out of position, or you can just run in a room and spray bullets. Or, you know, this is a big one, campers who camp and just snipe up in, you know, a window of a building. Yeah. And that's totally a, an, albeit annoying, a legitimate way to play. And that's a choice and an option that you make that makes you stand out from the rest of the crowd. Therefore, you are role-playing as an individual and no longer just some nebulous character. Well, no, now you're the sniper guy who's camping and sniping everybody. And that yeah. sort of creates an individualization and um, makes you uh, now playing a role. The, the one thing that I think may be somewhat antagonistic at times with role-playing games, the ones that encourage you to just make you. And in some circumstance, like, the creation of you in this new circumstance isn't the role-playing, but now you, the person who would never have in encountered, say, the Star Wars universe for real, have to make decisions in the Star Wars universe. So it still ends up being a role, because it's yeah. you're still put in situations that you could never realistically be in. And sometimes it really is more about the situational um, context that makes a person who they are. I mean, when you think about it, how do you define yourself? I mean, typically you define yourself in terms of the, the experiences you have. So it's almost entirely environmental dependent. Which is exactly the point I am trying to drive home. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and, and that's exactly my point. Um, someone like myself... I may, uh, I, I, well, I do define myself as a huge nerd. I'm a big comic book reader. I'm a big tabletop RPG player of all sorts, um, specifically D&D, but I do play other things. Uh, I'm quite partial to Mutants and Masterminds um, and Exalted as well. Um, and I also am a huge fan of video games. And uh, also kind of like to study tech and tech trends and uh, cinema. Yeah, I mean, same thing here. I, I think when it comes down to it, a lot of the games where you can create a character, if, if you're defaulting to trying to recreate yourself, you're taking the easy way into the game. But ultimately, it's still going to be a role-playing game. You're going to experience it, I guess, more genuinely as yourself, but you're role-playing yourself in Fallout's Boston. But also, I feel like that is not necessarily going to be at a detriment. Because you're no. still, you, you ultimately end up role-playing, but it is kind of an easy in, but it also helps you relate. Because if the character's you, you feel more for them. You relate yeah. to them more, and it ultimately leads you to care more about what happens to this person and what kind of story you're creating. Uh, I could argue that either way. 
I think for a person who is not is not predisposed to a role-playing game, if you picked up Fallout or Skyrim because it's a huge title and got into it playing as you, that might have opened your eyes to the whole world that is RPGs. But you might never go any further than say, I'm myself, but I'm an elf. Fair. Like, you you make your decisions and and you be you. But at the end of the day, I have 15 Skyrim characters and each of them specializes in something slightly different and it helps me to understand the world maybe not better, but differently in each case. This is true. Here's my question. How attached to them are you? Uh, each a different amount. And that's sort of what I'm driving at is when you make a character based on yourself, you get super attached. No one wants to lose that. So it affects you on a deeper level as far as um, attachment rate. Like, you're not going to want to give this up. Like, you're probably going to finish that game if you base it on yourself. Because it makes you feel like you accomplished that. Because literally your character was just an avatar for yourself. I don't know if anyone truly finishes Skyrim. <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're more likely to play it and go further. Right. And, and, and I guess that's fair. Um, I guess it really depends on what your definition of finish is, um, especially in a game like Skyrim or a game like... <laughs> like uh, The Witcher 3... Or, oh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I, I, I really do like Assassin's Creed, and I'm garbage at stealth games. Like, I, I watched a roommate play through Assassin's Creed 1, and I have no interest in it. But I played through Assassin's Creed 2 because it was free for 360 at one point. And, oh my mm. god, that game is so good! Oh, you're one of those. Alright. Dude, I'm garbage at stealth games. No, it's, it's not that. It's, uh, it's the fact that you're uh, in love with Assassin's Creed 2, which is my least favorite in the series. And everybody yeah. will crucify me for that, but I'm alright with that. Um, Out of the two I've seen, yes. <laughs> So I would actually, being such an RPG guy, um, so in our last episode we did together, we talked about RPGs that allow you to um, change your equipment skin and uh, in order to allow you to have a different look or, or go for the look you want. Um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey was actually the game I was referencing in that conversation and it is definitely more of an rpg style and less of a stealth which it actually got knocked really hard for by critics but i actually enjoy it and i think it's a game you'd probably really enjoy because it's very much an rpg and very less an on-rails stealth game yeah i i don't doubt that like I think the other one, like, I played two because I got it for free. Um, the other right. one I think I got for free was four, which would be Black Flag. Yes. Yeah, and I haven't jumped into that as much. But, like, because of playing two, I would consider playing the rest of the series. Like, it was just that good. And you may enjoy four because you're a little less of a stealthy assassin, and it's basically a pirate game. Four is basically a pirate game, and I think that might be a little more up your alley. Um, yeah, maybe. So uh, it, it requires a lot less stealth. <laughs> the the new one that's Valhalla. Yes. Yeah, that also looked pretty good. So yeah, maybe it is a a weird pirate thing. Vikings are pirates. Sure, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, so, I, uh, 
I would definitely recommend Odyssey. Odyssey is uh, definitely the most RPG out of all of them. Um, I haven't played Valhalla, but I've seen it played enough um, to know that it it goes a little, takes a few steps back into the more old school. It's a little closer to Origins than it is Odyssey. But um, I think Odyssey would be good for you because it would be an easy transition from the RPG you're used to. Yeah. Yeah, the, so. the the thing I really like about games like those is they do hit the, the mainstream somewhat, so you can play them as just a, a horrible murder simulator or, you know, I'm going to do all of these things totally correctly and get in versus, like, me. I'm going to do things, but I really just want to experience the story. Right. Like, at the end I'm of the day... I'm competent enough. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm kind of like that with video games, too. Uh, I actually, especially with video games, I have a dirty little secret where uh, easy. <laughs> um, at least to kind of start out and, and f- I feel my way through how easy, easy mode really is. <laughs> and then if it's, if it's just ridiculous, I'll bump it up. But um, I'll at least like start on easy because... I mostly want to get through the game and get the story because that's really what I'm there for is to experience the story of the game. Yeah. Yeah, same sort of thing. I I was playing through a game called Pine and it it is an RPG. You play as this the singular character, but like the the combat as you play through it is a pain in the ass. And a lot of the interaction with the world is obtaining, like, particular scrolls from particular archetypes of characters of different races in the game. And you can do that by murdering them, or by, like, setting traps to scare the shit out of them, they'll drop stuff. Ah, that's interesting. There's no sneak mechanic that I can remember, because I'm, like, six months in between playing it the first time and the second time. So, like, I just set a trap, lure them into it, and run away. I guess that's what I do. And it it just gets frustrating to me, because if I don't do it right and five people show up, like, I've got to (laughs) run. And the dodge key is shift, so if you hit shift too many times, sticky keys happens. This is true. So, you know, a, a game where kind of the mechanics are taking away from the story... But similar thing, like, I think the mechanics of the game get in, way of, in, the, in the way of the story it's trying to tell. I agree. I think a lot of times that can be an issue. I feel like even in tabletop, um, you run into that with RPGs, where sometimes you just want to talk about character doing cool stuff. know it's like oh i just want to do some cool shit and the mechanics may not allow for that or they may not allow for that to be done in as interesting of a way as you'd like like i guess add some flair to whatever i want but there's no mechanical way to have that be to greater or less effect yeah sort of the the limit there, I think, in a lot of ways, is trying to sort of uh, not delegate. I think sort of the diplomacy between the individual player characters at that point. Like, if one person is just really great at describing what their character is always doing, they can become dominant in the game. And so as the DM, you're sort of using the rules as a buffer to try to get sort of equal participation make sure everyone's enjoying what's going on and that's true and i think that's kind of why there are some of these rules that may seem like they're just trying to make extra effort for general things but really i think you're right i think the reason there are rules for like how to climb or how to jump across a very large gap or something like that, where in 3.5, there were rules for all of that. 
how to wrestle mm-hmm. another character. Like, like there were some crazy outlandish rules in three five, um, and they were there for that exact reason to get, like you said, as sort of a buffer. So other people had a chance to engage in it almost like stopped the person who just wanted to throw flair on everything made them think about, is this really worth going through all this? That way someone else could get a chance. Who's going to be a little more timid to come up and be all like, Hey, why don't we do this? (laughs) Yeah. I, I think in a lot of cases, like the rules are, are limiting in some ways so that you don't get the friend who's always like, I hit you. No, uh, <laughs> right. Because like kids role play from a very young age, depending on what's going on. Like uh, my, my thing with my friends was always, we would play X cartoon when we're the guys and when we're the guys is really the role playing thing. Right. Absolutely. So like, you know, for our age, Power Rangers. Absolutely. Pokemon. Absolutely. And I feel like um I feel like you also get you do run into players like myself. I, I kind of have an issue where I'm a talker and I will kind of dominate a room if if allowed to. Um it's something I'm working on, but I, I know it's an obvious issue that i face um and i will no, no way person who started podcast likes to talk <laughs> right <laughs> right exactly and so i know that um easily dominate a a game and become sort of the prominent figure and character in that game if i'm not in some way gated um and and made to slow down halt for a minute and allow other people to share the spotlight and i feel like things like skills um and not just skills but like a limited selection of skills <laughs> and things like um you know the the crazy rules for just doing things with flair um sort of allow someone like me to hit a wall and go mm, is this really worth trying to do or should i see if there's someone else or try to give you know, try to bring someone else out of their shell and and i feel like that's good for like a whole party because then everybody can kind of have fun and everybody can get the chance to shop Exactly. I mean, we we talk about min-maxing as a bad thing, but I think in some sense, just from the get-go, min-maxing is a specialization. And so every character, to some extent, is going to specialize some way. The, the interaction that's, between... That's the whole reason that, yeah. that... That's the whole reason that we have classes. Like, that's what classes in an RPG are. Like, that's yeah. the whole point. Um, and so that's true. Like we joke about min maxing being horrible, but yeah, there absolutely is, um, sort of a more general blanket of benefit and what min maxing could really be. Yeah. Like anything can be horrible taken to extremes, but even at the same time, sports have specializations because they have positions. You learn your position to play it well. Yep. Like, a center at hockey isn't necessarily going to make a great goalie. Absolutely. Like, Gretzky in gold might be fun to watch, <laughs> but he's much better at scoring goals, probably, than, than saving goals. This is true. This is true. That's a great reference, by the way. So yeah, I mean, going through all of the, the things, you know, I... I would argue that most video games, to some extent, offer you a role-playing option. And that many people, maybe like half the people, don't take it. I think that's true. And I think a lot of that does come down to marketing and classification of games. 
Which I guess kind of yeah. opens up a whole new can of worms as far as do we even need to classify games? Or is it sort of a detriment because it um, sort of pigeonholds people into playing a game a certain way when, and limits their options? Yeah, to some extent, yes. Um, I mentioned last time the game Kenshi, and they they will argue on all of the different uh, starts that you have for the game, that there's a different play style that they sort of intend that start to be. Like, if you're playing with a single character, they're intending it to be more RPG style. If you're starting a group, they're intending it to be more of, like, a strategy game. But at the same time, like, is am I not doing some strategy as well in the RPG side, and when I have those multiple people, am I, am I not, not then playing the role as the group? Sure. Yeah, I mean, like anything, like we were talking about Final Fantasy VII earlier, some people might think they roleplay as Cloud because he's the main character, but, I mean, ultimately, you're kind of also controlling the whole group. You control them in combat. You're Avalanche. Yeah, so like... In in that regard, you know, more games, I think we both agree, are role-playing than are classified as role-playing. Right. But, yeah, the the genres and the way that games are marketed might make you feel or play a different style otherwise. Right. And I guess, ultimately, is that really a detriment? I think it depends on each person. Like, I'm sure I could be swayed into playing games that I wouldn't have otherwise if they were marketed as RPGs, but in the same sense, like, maybe I would have played it anyway. This is true. It's hard to say. This is true. That's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of a good point. Um, and I feel like maybe that's also kind of it. Um, if there wasn't classifications on games, then people wouldn't, they'd be open to more possibilities because I feel like when there is a classification and you decide, oh, I'm the RPG guy. Oh, I'm the adventure game guy. Oh, I'm the platformer guy. You're going to, or, you know, girl or whatever um, you might be, uh, you get into um, the the whole thing of, I'm only going to pick up games that have that classification on it. Then it's like, that's a little limiting. And you're missing out on something that could have some aspects of each of those things. Like, I feel like there are plenty of RPGs that have platforming elements and aspects. And I feel like there are plenty of platformers, as we just mentioned, that have aspects of role-playing. Um, there are plenty of RPG or plenty of platformers I've played where the main character has dialogue options. Which could be, I mean, as we talked about today, a really big piece that categorizes something as an RPG. It's it's a big element of role play. Yeah. So no, I think you're hitting on something that's really important to a lot of different pieces in life. Like we are both very into music, absolutely, and. We, we have some similar tastes and some slightly dissimilar tastes, but like we're not pigeonholed into we are the punk guy or we are the alternative guy, we are the rap guy. Unless, like, unless you ask my friends, and they'll all tell you that I am the punk guy, and I'm not sure how I ended up with that label, but that would be my label. <laughs> yeah, but like you like things outside of there. I damn well know you do, because I went to a, a weird-ass concert with you in Columbus. Hey, I love them. And apparently they were on America's Got Talent. <laughs> and it's super funny. Really? Yeah. Um very recently, like this past year, they were on America's Got Talent. I would have thought they'd be beyond that. I-, I thought so too. I'm like they're like six albums deep. <laughs> <laughs> How is that a thing? Um, and, and they're like a pretty, pretty big band. Um, I mean, not a lot of people know them, but they got their start doing 
an opening for a pretty big FX show, so... <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, at the same time, like, you know, you might be the punk guy, but you don't exclusively listen to punk. But Absolutely. some people... Some people take the genre game to extremes, like, you know, I'm the rock guy and rap sucks. I don't know. I've been forced to listen to enough rap that I could find songs that I do genuinely enjoy. Hey, man, I feel like you had a good time at the Gangster Grass concert. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Everybody can find something to get into in music. And, like, people complained about emo when we were younger, but a lot of it is the same stuff that's in pop punk. This is kind of true, and I'm kind of um, realizing some of the specific things to me that represent what is emo versus pop punk, because I've found I like a lot of bands that most people would classify as pop punk and emo, but I prefer them. I don't like other bands that people would just classify as emo. And I've kind of found certain things within those styles that have defined what the differentiation is between them. And this is funny that you bring but, this up because I just recently ran into this kind of thinking. <laughs> but you almost, well, you definitely, it seems like, had to come to those distinctions yourself. Yeah, and it was also a very recent thing. <laughs> you know, like, over 30 years into my life, I'm finally <laughs> realizing these, these distinctions. Yeah. So, perhaps the people who set the genres of both music and video games don't, or are trying to put things that aren't easily definable in some cases into categories and that's kind of i guess the point i'm trying to make is is um there are plenty of games out there all sorts of games because i feel like you know we talk about rpgs here we talk about video games a lot and we talk about tabletop yeah. games there are plenty of other games as well that kind of almost crossover into the RPG area that are considered um, other types of tabletop games that aren't role-playing games, specifically. Yeah. I mean, I'd even consider in a lot of cases, like, wargaming to be role-playing games. And that, you, was, you're... that was sort of yeah. something I was hinting at. Um, and... You also have to remember the origins of D&D &D are in war games. Yeah. Chainmail I mean, is Gary Gygax's inspiration for D&D. &D. He built it on an expanded version of Chainmail rules. And see, in those cases, like, if you're playing Warhammer 40k, you you're kind of role-playing as the commander of some amount of army. And really, the only difference between D&D &D and a war game is you're commanding one individual, whereas you're commanding a whole unit in a war game. But as we discussed earlier, an entire unit or a place or a concept can also be a character if it's prominent enough, if it's a changing, living type of thing. It, enough older adult men in probably both of our lives are very, very into sports. If a sports team is not a living, evolving thing that evokes emotion in them at least one day a week, then wow, I, I have not lived life and I don't know what it is. This is extremely true this is absolutely true um and yeah so e even in those cases if a team is not a character then i don't know what it is <laughs> right and i feel like that is the case because sure sometimes they talk about some of the individual but let's face it they always talk about but the whole problem with that person 
that member of the team is that they don't play like a member of the team. And the complaint's always that they're selfish and they're not playing with the rest of the team. So the team has sort of become the character. Them as a unit is what's important to them, not each individual individually. Now, they like some individuals because they feel like they blend in with the team really well to increase the level of the team um to use to use an rpg reference right (laughs) right so that's absolutely that's absolutely true i mean i would think a sports team is absolutely a a character or at least like a living being in which uh could be embodied which brings us back around to as you were saying um some sports video games where they have a career mode or where you play as the team but they have like seasons you know some of them have seasons where you play that whole season as that team you're just that team therefore you're embodying the team yeah and that could be considered for that season that could be considered an RPG because you're living out that team and that team's success, and it's important to you because you feel a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. You're making a choice on how that team plays by how you play. Absolutely. You're the one who decides. First of all, a lot of them nowadays, you pick the playbook. You run the plays. And yeah, you do control some individuals to get them into place and and make the plays work, but also like the whole AI of the team in the game runs that play that you picked. Therefore, you have influenced the entire thing, even though you're at one point only playing one individual and jumping between individuals, you're still, you've embodied the whole team by picking that play, by making that important um, to the AI and making it prioritize that. You've now uh, decided the fate of that team, similar like you would in a dialogue option or a choice to attack a character that's 20 levels higher than you that you really should know because now they're going to (laughs) die. Yep. Like the Cleveland Browns playing anyone. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Is there really any difference in in those choices? And uh, I feel like... Well, the the Cleveland Browns have to play against more level 20s later in the season as well, whereas you might die. (laughs) Well... Well, I guess that's sort of true. However, uh, there are loser brackets, and eventually you fall off, and you don't have to play any more games because you're just at the bottom. (laughs) Yep. And so they ultimately do, like, essentially die. (laughs) It's just they have to come back for the next season. (laughs) But, you know, in a lot of ways, so do characters. They respawn. I mean, they come back. <laughs> yeah. And so the analogy if, still if, works. <laughs> if, you're, if you're playing... Definitely if you're playing, you know, a computer game or a, a video game RPG, when you die, you have to reload. So you're coming back. Or sometimes you're supposed to get your ass kicked in a battle. Right. And, and in D&D, you know, we can choose to resurrect that character or we can just let them be dead. Right. And also, in that, in that sense, in something like a tabletop, I feel like there are enough supernatural elements to it to a lot for... Even even as far as just your DM's cool, and they're all like, "Oh, nope, you're back." <laughs> yeah, you know, to to allow for characters to come back, um, just for the benefit of keeping the game flowing, which I guess uh, sort of is why sports analogy works so well because the teams always come back because they keep the game flowing. 
if if a team just did terrible one season and they never brought them back, you'd eventually end up with like only four teams in the league and it would no longer be interesting for people. Yeah. So having those teams and giving them another chance keeps everyone engaged. And that's sort of the same concept as a video game or a tabletop game and a reason to bring these characters back. So I think what we both agree on is that categories are stupid. And <laughs> at, at the end of the day, all, all you sports nerds are also playing an RPG by participating in your sport. And I actually wonder how many of them would actually be pretty hyped up to hear that because, uh, you know, things like fantasy football are all the craze. And I feel like fantasy football is like the most RPG thing in sports that ever RPG'd. <laughs> yeah. Because it's literally... Fantasy, any sport. Yeah. Because it's literally, let's take a, a, and apply numbers to characters that we like and we wish to embody, and we take those number take different people who have different numbers throw them all together put those numbers together to create a total number and hopefully we win and beat everybody other else's numbers if that's not leveling up a party and going to fight <laughs> with with high level monsters i don't know what is I mean, like, it's essentially the same thing. It's not any different than what you do in a role-playing game. I mean, people really didn't expect it at the time, but Madden 64, the final boss is John Madden. And, like, whoa, that was a tough boss battle. Right? Right? <laughs> like, come on. Um, so, yeah. I think uh, I think that's true. I think we ran into something interesting um, with genre busting. Yeah. So everyone, if you're listening, your genres are bullshit. You should you should explore outside them from time to time, and you'll find cool stuff. This is very true. Um, also, just because genres shouldn't exist doesn't mean they don't exist, and this is still. RPG yep. Corner. <laughs> and thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for joining us, Wayne. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be back. Absolutely. And we will definitely have you back again. And thank you for joining us. And we will see you next time. Bow, bow, bow.